Good morning, church. There's no doubt that we are in a season of uncertain times. We are definitely in some unique days that are ahead of us. And it just seems like we're kind of in this mold of just waiting, right? We're waiting for the latest newscast. We're waiting for the latest uh, uh, words from our president, from our governors, from our mayors. It just feels like that right now where we find ourselves as a follower of Christ and even as a nation is that we are just in a season of waiting, right? It's almost like, have you ever been on a plane? And, and like I remember some years ago, I was on a plane, I was flying into Chicago. And as we approached Chicago, the pilot got word from the tower that we just need to be in a holding pattern. We don't know whether it was just because there was a storm and we just couldn't descend that quickly and, and go through the storm, or if there were some issues with what was going on on the runway. We weren't really sure what was going on, but we were told to be in a holding pattern. And if you think about it, right now in the world we live in, with all the chaos and all the panic and all the fear, at some level it feels like we are just in a holding pattern, right? We're in a season of waiting. And the struggle with being in a season of waiting or the struggle with being in a season where we just feel like we're in a holding pattern is that has a deep impact on our spiritual life, right? It impacts our sense of purpose, which is to share the gospel. It impacts our passion and our urgency to share the gospel. See, it's sometimes when we are in a season of waiting, those are the seasons that's easiest to become complacent. Those are the seasons that's easy for us to become lazy. And it's in those moments of waiting, in those seasons of waiting, that we can feel like we become stuck in our faith. I don't know about you, but we've all kind of been on lockdown the last two or three weeks, and many people are going stir crazy. But spiritually, how are you doing this morning? Spiritually, I feel like maybe that's where we find ourselves, that we are in this season of waiting and holding pattern, and maybe we have become complacent. Maybe we have become lazy. Maybe we just simply feel stuck in our faith. And so today what I want to do is I want us to look at a guy who is literally waiting. He was literally in a holding pattern. But yet while he was waiting, he was able to maintain his sense of purpose. He was able to maintain his sense of passion and urgency to share the gospel. And while he was waiting, he was able to seize the moments that God had right in front of him. And so I want us to look at that guy and I want us to look and ask this question. What can we learn from him about being in a season of waiting and not losing our purpose and not losing our passion and urgency and making sure that we too are seizing every moment that God has before us in this time of waiting. So if you have your Bibles, I'm gonna ask you to turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 17. You can grab your iPhone or your smart device. And in Acts chapter 17, we're going to look at the guy by the name of Paul. And you know who Apostle Paul is. Paul was the guy that his name, first of all, was Saul, right? He was Saul. He was a Pharisee. He was one who was sought out to kill the Christians. He actually held the cloak of the one who stoned Stephen. He was a Christian hater. But on his way to Damascus, he had an encounter with the resurrected Savior. And that encounter with Jesus, the resurrected Lord, changed his life. And now we find Paul in the book of Acts. Paul is now not only, a, he's not a hater of Christians anymore. He's someone who's propagating the gospel. He's someone who's going out and permeating the truth of the gospel. Paul is on a missionary journey when we reach Paul in the book of Acts chapter 17. He's on a mission to share to the known world the good news of Jesus Christ. 
In Acts chapter 17, there's three things I want us to glean from this passage that will show us what was it about Paul that kept his passion burning, kept him with a sense of urgency, and led him to seize every moment. The first thing I want you to notice is found in verse 16 of chapter 7. Listen as I read. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. First thing I want you to notice is that Paul was bothered by what he saw. He was bothered. Now think about this. It says here that Paul was in a waiting pattern. He was in a holding pattern that he was waiting. It says here, now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens. Well, who was Paul waiting for? Paul was waiting for Silas and he was waiting for Timothy. He was waiting for two brothers in the faith so they can continue their missionary journey. I mean, Paul was just kind of hanging out in Athens. He wasn't on any mission trip. He didn't have any scheduled events. There was nothing on his itinerary. He is simply in a holding pattern. He is just simply in a city waiting for his two brothers to come so they could go continue their missionary endeavor. But while he's waiting, it says that he was bothered by what he saw. Now listen to me, church, I love that because of this, because it's a reminder that even though Paul was in waiting, he didn't let waiting put purpose on hold. He didn't let the fact that he was waiting for two brothers to come to put the blinders on and to ignore the world around him, just because he was waiting doesn't mean he wasn't still on mission. See, Paul, in the midst of waiting, was bothered by what he saw. Paul understood that even in the season of waiting, even in a moment when we feel like we are in a holding pattern, the mission must continue. That no matter where we find ourselves, whether it's in moments of busyness or moments of waiting, we are called to be the mouthpiece of Almighty God. And Paul never said, hey, listen, I'm just waiting. I'm gonna take a day off. I'm off duty right now. I know there's a mess around me, but I'm just gonna be off duty. I'm gonna put the blinders on and I'm gonna keep moving forward. And once my brothers show up, then we're gonna continue on. That was not the heart of Paul. Paul realized that even while he was waiting, mission and purpose couldn't go on hold. Now listen to this church. That's why, this is why that's so important for us. Because so many times we do such a good job of being on mission. We do such a good job proclaiming the good news of Christ. But most of those times are moments that we have scheduled. Most of those times are moments that we've planned to serve in our community or to go on a mission trip or moments we've planned to have these conversations. But so many times when we are not, it's not on our itinerary, it's not on our to-do list, we seem to put the blinders on and walk through life ignoring the world around us. That wasn't the heart of Paul, and that shouldn't be our hearts. Paul was bothered. In fact, the word here, he says that Paul was provoked. His spirit within him was provoked. That word in the Greek literally means to be stirred, to be aroused, or to be bothered. Now, when I say bother, typically we would take that in a very casual thing. We would say, well, to be bothered is just to be mildly annoyed. That's not what it means. The word here provoked does not mean to be anger towards someone, to be angry with somebody. It's not what it means at all. To be provoked here, to be bothered, literally means a deep wrecking within. In other words, Paul was wrecked at the core of his being. Paul waiting, in a season of waiting, for Silas and Timothy to show up to continue the missionary endeavor, began to see the world around him, and deep within his soul, he was wrecked by what he saw. 
Well, Doug, what did he see? What tells us here? He saw that the city was filled full of what? Idols. Idols were everywhere. Now, I want to remind you where he was at. He was in Athens. Athens was known as the cultural center of the world. That's what Athens was. If you wanted to experience any level of culture, you went to the city of Athens. But Athens wasn't always just known for culture. It was also known for idolatry. In fact, some historians would tell you that there were more idols in Athens than there were men. That in every nook and cranny you turn, there was an idol for something and for someone. It could be the God of fertility, the God of the harvest, the God of the sun, the God of the moon, the God of whatever. There was a God for everything and there were idols in every corner in the city of Athens. And as Paul in waiting, mind you, he's just waiting. He's like on R&R waiting for them to show up to go on a missionary endeavor. While he's waiting, he sees the world around him and he is bothered. He is wrecked to the core of his being. Why is he wrecked? Because as Paul looks around him and he sees all this idolatry, he's reminded that people are believing a false doctrine, that people have bought into a lie, that people are seeking to find value and significance in something that is 100% fake. They're wrapped up in idolatry. And Paul knows what we know as believers. There is only one God. There's only one one, one that's worthy to be worshiped. Only one worthy to be praised. And as Paul looked around the city, what he saw was people finding significance and people finding value and the worship of that which was false. And it wrecked him from the core of his being. And the question I want us to think about today is, are we bothered by what we see? When we look around the world around us, does it wreck us like it did Paul? When we look to our families and our friends and our coworkers and our neighbors and we see the lostness and the hopelessness with which they're living, does it wreck us from the core or do we have the blinders on and we just keep moving? See, before the virus hit America, we saw people that were wrapped up in idolatry, didn't we? For some people, those, those idols were sports personalities, right? people that they found value and brought them significance. For other people, it was money, that the money they had, the, the size of their bank account, the size of their 401k, the size of, of their por portfolio and, and all that they had, the assets they had, all those things, they found value and significance and money. For others, they found their significance in work and their value in work. Work brought them value and significance because they thought they brought them position and power and popularity. And here's my question, before the virus hit, before we began into the moment of a pandemic and, and, and crisis, were we bothered when we saw the world around us and we saw people that had money as their idols, when people had work as their idols, when people had cars as their idols, when where they lived mattered more than anything else in life? Did it bother us as born-again believers, as followers of the Most High God? Did it bother us when we saw the idolatry and the world we lived in? Now, since the virus, many of those idols have fallen to the side, haven't they? Many people don't, don't, don't look to sports personalities because there are no more sports online. Some people don't look and wrap up in the whole money thing because they've lost so much in their 401k. People don't look to work as finding significance and value maybe because they've lost their job. They're looking 
for work. But hear me and hear me clearly, church, just because people may not be looking to money and work like they used to look to, people are still looking for something to put into their lives to bring value and to bring significance. People are searching as much today as they ever have for value and significance. And does it bother us? Listen to me. Does it bother us when people are looking for stuff to give them value and to give them significance rather than looking to a personal and intimate and powerful relationship with Jesus Christ? Does it bother us that we're people around us, our neighbors, our friends, our family members are searching for stuff to bring them value and bring them significance rather than the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Does it bother you? It should. And it should bother me. And it obviously bothered Paul. Paul was bothered by what he saw, first of all. But look where it led him. Look at me, verse 17. It says this. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and the marketplace every day with those who happen to be there. Now, I love this because the second thing I want you to draw is not always that Paul bothered by what he saw, but being bothered, secondly, led Paul to be bold. Because he was bothered by what he saw, it led Paul to be bold. Well, how do we know that? Well, there's a key word here, the very first word in chapter 17, verse 17. So. So, in other words, chapter, verse 16 tells us that Paul was waiting in Athens, that deep within his spirit, he was provoked, he was bothered, he was wrecked by what he saw. So, he did something about it. See, many of us sat out there today would say, you know what? There's times in my life I have been bothered, but it never led to action. Well, then you weren't truly bothered. See, Paul was so bothered by what he saw, the next word is a natural conclusion. So he did something about it. So he reasoned the synagogues. The fact of the matter is that Paul was so bothered by what he saw, he became bold to share the gospel. So Paul did something about it. What did he do, Doug? It says here that he reasoned in the synagogue and the marketplace. Now that word reason there is a philosophical word. And what it does not mean is it doesn't mean that Paul walked up and down the streets of Athens screaming from the top of his voice, probably like a John the Baptist, you know, repent. That wasn't what Paul did. To reason meant there was a dialogue happening, that he actually was engaging people with gospel conversations. He wasn't trying to persuade them or convince them. He was simply sharing the truth of the gospel. He was reasoning with them. He would listen to them even though he would not agree with them and he would share the truth of the gospel. He wasn't angry, he wasn't mad. He was just sharing the truth from deep within his heart of the gospel of Christ. And it said he did it in the synagogue and the marketplace. Now what was the synagogue? That's where the religious people hung out. So you're saying, Doug, that even the religious people missed this? Yes, they did. Even the religious people had bought into a wrong philosophy. Even the religious people, the Judaizers in the first century, believed that you must perform to be acceptable to God, that you must keep the law. And Paul walks in and Paul begins to reason with them. But not only with the religious people, Paul begins to reason with those in the marketplace. So you've got the religious people in the synagogue and you've got the common people in the marketplace. Those who are just the average Joes of Athens and Paul's talking to them too. 
The implication is the synagogue to the marketplace means that Paul, everywhere he went, every day, between the house of worship and to the commonplace, everybody he engaged, he continued to have gospel conversation with them. He continued to reason with those people. See, here's what I want us to notice is that Paul seized the moment that was in front of him. Paul, who was stirred, who was wrecked by what he saw, did something about it. He seized the moment in front of him. Look at verse 18 with me. It says this, now some of the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and what? The resurrection. He was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So in the face of this boldness and the fact that Paul is seizing this moment, he comes across two kinds of philosophers. He comes across what's called the Epicurean philosophers and the Stoic philosophers. These guys were on the opposite end of the spectrum philosophically. The Epicureans believe this, that all we are to do is to enjoy life. I mean, eat, drink, be merry. I mean, you just do whatever you wanna do. You just enjoy life. You fill it with desires and pleasures and passions. I mean, there's no accountability. There's no boundaries. There's no guardrails. There's no more compass. Don't worry about that stuff. Don't worry about it. You just enjoy life. That was the Epicureans. And then on the opposite end, we had the Stoic philosophers. And their thing and their their kind of philosophy wasn't about uh, enjoying life. It was about just endure life. Theirs was, we just want to make it through the next day. We want to do the minimum required of us just to survive. And yet Paul runs into both of these kinds of philosophers, the ones who believe it's all about enjoying life and ones who believe it's all about enduring life. And he engages both of them with one message. Did you hear what the message was? He was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. He was preaching the life of Jesus. He was telling the people about what Jesus had done, the experiences that Jesus had, the moments of miracles, the teachings of Jesus. He talked to them about the death of Christ, that he went to a cross and he died for their sins and he preached the resurrection, the event that makes all the difference in the world, the event that we will celebrate next week on Easter Sunday morning. He preached the resurrection of Christ, even though he engaged two different kinds of people, he believed there was still one message, the message of Jesus and the message of the resurrection. See, Paul believed that if your philosophy in life is just to enjoy life, you need to be reminded that there's a heavenly father who loves you, his sin, his son to die from you, and one day you will be held accountable. If you wanna enjoy life now, you do what you wanna do. One day you're gonna stand before a holy God. A God who sent his son to die and raised him on the, from the grave three days later. And you're gonna stand accountable before a holy God and you're gonna answer this question. What did you do and what did you believe about Jesus? So for those of you who wanna enjoy life, fine. But one day, you're gonna stand before God and give an account. And he also knew that for those whose philosophy was, hey, let's just endure life. Let's just make it through life. He understood those people need to realize that life is not just about surviving. There's more to life than just surviving. What if a personal relationship with Jesus Christ leads us to a life that's an abundant life? It's not about surviving, it's about thriving. See, Paul understood something that I hope we understand. 
Yes, he was bothered. But why he was bothered, it led him to boldness. And in his boldness, whether it was in the synagogue, whether it was in the marketplace, or whether it was with these philosophers, there was one message, one message that everybody needed to hear. And it was a message of Jesus and the resurrection. Paul didn't offer his opinions. Paul didn't offer his experiences. Paul didn't offer his advice. You know what he offered? Jesus and the power of the resurrection. That was his message. Then when you look at Paul here, what we discover is that Paul was bothered, and because he was bothered, that led to his boldness. And listen to me, church, that should be the same thing for us. As we look around the world around us, are we bothered by what we see? And if we are bothered, we gotta take action. If we are bothered by the hopelessness, the helplessness, and the lostness of the people that are around us and the wrong thinking of the people around us, we need to take action. Listen, we live in a world where we too are surrounded by people who are like the Epicurean philosophers, who are like the Stoic philosophers. We live in a world around people who think it's all about enjoying life. They're the people who look at this crisis and go, oh, it's no big deal. They just are dismissive of that. And then we also got people that were around, they're like the Stoics, and they're like, God, would you just help me survive it? God, I can't wait for the season to come in our life when we are just finally through this mess. Listen, we are surrounded by the same philosophies even today. That means, just like Paul, it's our time. It is our time to speak into the lives of people that are searching, like the ones in the synagogue, like the ones in the marketplace, like the Greek philosophers. It is our time to preach to them and to share with them and to speak into them the truth of Jesus. That one day, one day, whether you wanna enjoy life now or not, we're all gonna stand before him and give an account. One day we're gonna stand before him and say, what did we do with Jesus? And one day we're gonna realize that the only way to thrive in life is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's my point, church. Paul was bothered and him being bothered led to his boldness. And the same thing should be true for us, right? If we are bothered by what we see, it should lead to a boldness in us, a boldness for the people that are surrounding us with only one message, the message of Jesus and the resurrection. And I guess the question that we've got to ask ourselves is how bold are we willing to be in this time of crisis? How bold are we willing to be? Now we can come up with a lot of great excuses. Well, Doug, you know, we're supposed to be staying and we're supposed to be being out and I get all of that. But there are still people, like in my subdivision where I live in Wedgefield, there are more people walking the subdivision than I've ever seen in the last two years that I've lived there. More people are trying to get out and walk and exercise. Can you imagine the volume of conversation that can happen just in walking your neighborhood? You're not getting into groups of 10. You can still keep a six-foot distance, but can you imagine the conversations that can happen? How bold are we willing to be in this crisis? Listen to me. I don't want us to be a year down the road and to look back and go, I should have done more. I could have done more. Why didn't I do more to share the truth of the gospel? Why did I not do anything? Here's something I want you to think about. If we are not being bold in our faith, listen, it's probably because we're not really bothered by what we see. I know that hurts a little bit, stings a little bit, but it's true. If we're not willing to be bold in our faith, it's probably because we are not bothered by what we see. 
Paul was bothered. Paul was bold. One more thing I want you to notice. It's found in verse 22 through 23. Here's what it says. Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said to these men, because after he shared this, listen, after he shared this, these guys like didn't get enough of it. They couldn't get enough of what he was sharing. They said, we, we want more people to hear this. So they took him to a place called the Areopagus. The Areopagus was a place where they would go where philosophers would share new ideas and they would hash it out and they would talk about it. These Greek philosophers, while they may not have agreed with Paul, were so intrigued with the message of Jesus and the resurrection, they wanted more. And so here's what happened, verse 22 and 23. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are religious. In other words, you're mindful towards spiritual things. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I will proclaim to you. Now, here's what happens. In this moment, yes, Paul was bothered. Yes, Paul was bold. But in his boldness, thirdly, in his boldness, Paul offered them hope. He was bothered by what he saw. He was bold to do something about it. But in his boldness, what he offered the men and the people of Athens was hope. Did you pick up on what he said there? He said, as I walk through your city, I know that you're religious. I know that you're minded of spiritual things. But I noticed something. I noticed that there's one, there's one altar. And, and most scholars will tell you it was probably the biggest altar in Athens. And there's this one altar and it has this inscription to an unknown God. Now, why is that important? Because that means that the people of Athens, somewhere in their philosophy, while they had all these little different deities they worshiped, that somewhere in their theology, somewhere in their thinking, they believed that there was a God who's supreme and sovereign and reigned, and he was so big, we don't have a name for him. He's so big, we don't even know who he is. But he's, all, he's over all these other little bitty gods, but we don't know who he is, so we just put an unknown God. And here's what Paul said. The one that you worship is unknown. Listen, the one that you worship, that you know is sovereign, that you know that is in control, that is over all things, the one that you don't know his name, listen, I wanna introduce you to him. The one that you're searching for, that you know reigns supremely, but you don't have a name for him, I wanna introduce you to that God because that's the God that I serve. Now listen to what he says to them. Listen to the introduction he gives. Verse 24, read with me. The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives all to mankind, life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and the imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all the people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man. Who's that man? Jesus, whom he has appointed, 
And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Here's what Paul says, listen, you wanna know who this God that you know is supreme, the one you've marked as unknown, I wanna introduce you to him. And here's who he is, he is creator. He's the one who's fashioned all things. He is life giver. In him, we move and live and have our being. He is a God who is just, meaning there's gonna come a day when everyone's gonna be held accountable for our sins. But he's also the God who's our justifier. Knowing that we can never pay for our own sins, he sent his only son to a cross to die and three days later, rose him up from the dead. So the God you're searching for, the God that you say is unknown, the God that is supreme, he is creator, he is life giver, he is judge, but he's also justifier. He loves you so much that he gave his son for you to rise him up three days after his death. So when you look at what Paul did, Paul gave them hope. Yes, he was bothered. Yes, he was bold and did something, but what came out of his mouth wasn't words of opinion, wasn't words of condemnation, wasn't words of judgment. It was words of hope. Question, what are we giving people? Are we giving people our bad attitude toward our leaders and the decisions they're making? Are we giving people our opinions about when we think this crisis is going to end? Are we giving people who are hopeless, helpless, and lost, are we giving them the only message that can give them hope, the message of Christ? What are we giving people? See, Paul, waiting, mind you, he's waiting. He's on R&R. He's waiting around. While he's waiting, he's bothered by what he sees, which led him to being bold, which ultimately led him in his boldness to offer the people around him hope. Now hear me on this church, in the season of panic that we're in, here's what we all know. We know what people are looking for, don't we? Come on, we know what people are looking for. They are looking for clarity. They are looking for direction. They are looking for something to believe in. They are looking for hope. Now as a follower of Jesus Christ, that should ignite my passion, right? That should erupt in me a sense of urgency and it should lead me to share the gospel with my neighbors, my friends, my family members, my coworkers. It should do something in me. It should stir and it should erupt something in me because what people are searching for is the very thing we possess. It's the message of Christ, right? And I guess the question we have to ask ourselves is this, will we be willing, like Paul, to seize those moments? Those moments when maybe you finally decided to pick up your bike and start biking like I did yesterday. It was terrible, I about fell off the thing. I mean, you know, moments where you start doing something you've never done and you engage people. Do you put those blinders on and just keep going? Or do you pause and ask this question, is this possibly a moment that God has ordained? Is this a moment where someone who's helpless, hopeless, and lost needs a message of hope? If there was ever a time for the church to be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within us, it is right now. But will we seize that moment? You know, if you're watching today and you're like these philosophers and you find yourself searching this morning, you find yourself searching for significance, searching for something that will bring you value, you're only gonna find that in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because as we're finding out in our culture, if you think money brings you value, when it's gone, what does that say about you? If you think your job brings you value and significance and power and prestige and position, when it's gone, what does that say about you? 
There is a constant in a relationship with Jesus Christ. No matter what comes in this world, no matter what comes my way, I am changed. I have been forgiven. I have been saved. I am a child of the Most High God. And maybe you're in that place in your life where you're just searching this morning and you're looking for hope. You're only gonna find the answer to that through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can give you hope when you're hopeless. And I'm gonna ask you today to seize this moment in just a moment, to seize the moment and to give your life to Christ. Maybe you're watching today and you're like Doug and you're, you're a follower of Jesus and you feel like, you're like Paul. You feel like, hey Doug, I'm in a holding pattern. Well, if you feel like you're in a holding pattern, just remember this. This is the easiest season of your life to become apathetic. It's the easiest season of your life to become unmotivated. But there are people around us that need us. There are people around us that need to hear them, us to be the mouthpiece of God, to be the, those who permeate the message of hope. And so if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, here's what I'm gonna ask you to commit to today. I'm gonna ask you to commit. And, I, and don't just say these words, but I'm asking you to make a deep commitment. Here's the first thing. First of all, would you just simply say, Lord, would you bother me about what I see? God, would you wreck me to the core of my being based on the idolatry I see in the world we live in? And God, not only would you wreck me and bother me, but would you give me the boldness I need to take that step, that boldness to do something rather than just to let the moment pass me by. And God, in that boldness of doing something, would you help me to be an agent of spreading hope to a hopeless world? That may just be in this quarantine time, a time of your getting to know your neighbors and sharing the message of the gospel with your neighbors or maybe a family member who doesn't know Christ, or maybe a spouse, maybe a child, maybe a coworker. If you're following Jesus Christ, this is not a season for us to be on R&R. This is a time for us to rise up, to make a difference, and to be the mouthpiece of God. And if that's gonna happen, we have to say, God, would you start by bothering me? Would you give me boldness? And would you help me be an agent of hope? Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Even as you sit there in your living room or maybe you're still in your pajamas in your bed, I'm gonna ask you right now, would you just bow your eyes, or bow your heads and close your eyes? Just close your eyes and, and bow your heads just for a moment. And for those of you that are followers of Jesus Christ, would you take the words of Paul this morning and would you make a similar commitment to what he made? Would you be bothered and ask God to help you be bothered by what you see? Would you say, God, would you wreck me over the lostness that's around me, the hopelessness that's around me? God, would you wreck me over that? But God, also, would you give me the boldness to do something? And as I go, Lord, would you help me be an agent of hope? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, would you just pray that? Would you just commit to that? If you were one of those who was watching today and you're searching just like the philosophers were, your search can be over today. And I'm gonna ask you to take a moment and seize this divine moment and just simply say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I believe that Jesus, your son, died on the cross for me. I believe on the cross where he died, he shed his blood to be payment for my sin. And I believe three days later, he rose from the grave and today, I surrender my life to him to be Lord and master of it. Forgive me my sins and save me. And if you prayed that prayer,
you're now part of the kingdom of God and you are a child of God. And in a moment, I'm gonna give you a way for us to connect and to let us know the decision you've made. But wherever God is leading you this morning, would you just be faithful to respond? Let's pray together. God, I love you and I thank you for today. I thank you for this moment that we've had together to open your word and to discuss and to share the truth of your word. God, thank you for the worship we've had this morning as we've been reminded how much you love us, that there's nothing that's gonna stop you from coming after us. Lord, I love that. But God, I pray for believers today. I pray that we would look at the, the message that we see in Acts chapter 17 and we would decide, Lord, we want to be bothered. We want to be inconvenienced. We want to be wrecked by the lostness and the hopelessness we see in the world around us. But God may not stop there for us. May we desire to be bold in our faith, to do something. And Lord, in our boldness, would you help us be agents of spreading hope, hope that can only be found through a personal relationship with Jesus. And Lord, I pray for those who just said yes to you. I pray for those a moment ago that did not know you as their savior, but a moment ago said, yes, I'm tired of searching. I want a relationship with Christ. God, I pray you'd bless them and speak to them and let them know that they belong to you and that you have written their name down in the Lamb's book of life and they are yours. And now they begin a journey like no other journey. So God, be with them and bless them. For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. Amen, amen. Now right now, we just wanna take a moment. We wanna continue to worship. And after we worship, we've got a few announcements to give you that are important to our church, but we wanna take a moment and continue to worship. And as you worship and as we sing together, even from your living room, would you think about the decision you need to make today? And would you be faithful to respond to the Lord? Let's worship.